So we're going to come from the theme still of going over suffering with Christ and what that really means. Again, it's going to be quite practical. Um, hopefully I'm making this clear so it's something that we can really, you know, live with and execute in our lives. I'm only using two main scriptures, and that's going to be Matthew 10, 38 through 39. And 2 Corinthians 1 and 5. So Matthew 10 and 38 and 39 reads, And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And in the message version it reads, If you don't go all the way with me, through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. So today's message is titled, Will You Lose to Find? 2 Corinthians 1 and 5 reads, For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So if we go back from yesterday's message and pick up the three different cups of suffering, we had the cup of sin, and that's where we must get to the place where we have spiritual seizures at the sight, touch, and taste of our own sin and the sin of others. We have to remember that that was the one of the ultimate sufferings that Christ had to endure was the sin of the people that caused him the most hurt that caused him shame, that caused him anguish. We have to get to the place where we suffer like Christ and have that same distaste towards sin. But like I said last night, it's a cup we would rather pass on because the sin is attractive. And that most famous sentence that whoever that man was that got it, that said, I love you more than you love your sin. To get to the place where we realize that God loves us more than we love our sin is a place where we can transform ourselves from getting rid of our sins. Because until we can grasp how much our sins really hurt him, I think we will always play with him. The second cup is the cup of others' pain. We must be willing to enter into the pains of others. Not just sit on the sidelines, but actually join other people in their pain. And the third cup is the cup of service to others. We must continue in our service for others, even unto pain and bitterness. We cannot just help people because it feels good at the time. And then when it, no, when it starts to cause us discomfort, we can't just walk away. And these are ways that we are in fellowship with crisis suffering and that's where I came from where Paul says that I wanted to be in fellowship with his suffering to get to know him more deeply and a lot of times we're not willing to go into the fellowship of the suffering we just want the blessings the power and the glory but we want no suffering again I will ask the question are you willing to drink the cup that our Savior drank all of these will play a part in today's message as well. 
So let's go to Matthew 10 and 38. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And 39 in that message Bible, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you will never find yourself. And I think that that is so profound because so often all we think about is ourself. Even in our relationship to Christ, we think about what he can give us. We think about how everything always pertains to me. And he is saying, as long as your eye is on yourself, you'll never find yourself. You'll never discover the rich blessings that I actually have placed in you. Because you're looking for yourself, but you're not looking to me. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you will find both yourself and me. It's very hard for us to forget about ourselves. We kind of like ourselves. And we truly like ourselves more than we like Christ. We think we have a little more to offer than he does. So whenever we choose Christ, we choose war. And Christ asks us to be ready to battle for his sake, to give up mother and father, husband and wife, son and daughter. He says, if you are not willing to take your cross, go through thick and thin with him, then you do not deserve him. And it's interesting that he uses the word cross. For he knew what the cross represented. He knew the anguish of the cross. He knew the pain of the cross. He knew the suffering of the cross. And yet he tells us to pick up the cross. He's telling us to go into suffering with him. I did it. You can do it too. I will admit that some of what is required goes against our basic self-preservation because the bible is a little against what we really want to do as just being regular old folks it pushes us to discomfort it makes us have to reach when we like to just be something in us says take the line of least resistance keep your lips closed go with the stream and look out for yourself it's pretty much what we're taught this is the policy that assures self-preservation. Keep your lips closed. That's the policy of silence. Go with the stream, the policy of drifting. Look after yourself. The policy of self-aggrandizement or grandiosity. If we look at each closely, we will see how these policies have really harmed us more than helped us, especially in regards to our salvation. The policy of silence is a dreadful set of rules. These are the rules in which we breed shame and contempt. We bind ourselves to sick secrets and painful past and present situations. Silence also keeps us at a distance from each other. Silence is the world of alienation, but we dress it up as politeness and keep in peace. Silence has affected how we relate to God. If we live by the Lord's methods, we will see that expression, not silence, will give us victory. Christ constantly pushes us to confess and proclaim. Confess him before men. Confess your faith. Confess your sins to one another. 
he states to proclaim justice, to proclaim freedom, and to proclaim his favor. Silence is not the way of God. Satan has wrapped many of his devices in silence, and we continue to peel back the wrapper and eat. On an individual basis, life is secured and enriched by expression. Apply the policy of silence to our feelings. Feelings which are never expressed burn away at us and eventually die a very sad death. We have all had the experience of wanting to say something, be it good or bad, and when we choose silence, we always lose. Silence gives us ways for us to feed into assumptions and to lies. The policy of silence has ruined many of our lives. Silence has been what we have been taught. Don't say that. Keep it to yourself. If you're hurt, try to deal with it by yourself. Let it go on and die by itself. And we sit there and we lose a part of ourselves every time we stay silent. We don't even know how to talk to God now. So we go into him in silence, hoping and wishing that he knows what we're thinking. When we enter into relationships with, the other, with each other, we use silence. I don't tell you what I really feel. I don't tell you what's going on with me. I don't tell you my pains, my troubles, even some of my joys. I just want you to kind of know. Silence has bred a gap between humanity and a gap between humanity and God. It is just a form that the devil has used to trick us. And we've bought into it. Now, if we apply pol the policy of silence to the acquisition of truth, a truth that is never proclaimed is never really known. Truth reserves her rarest beauties for the moment she is shared. If we retain her, we only see her partially. If we give her away, we see her in new lights. In the moment of communication, she reveals an unsuspected wealth. It's like when you're talking to somebody and you start telling your story. You start telling about something you learned. You tend to, as you speak it, you hear something different. You get something profound in the sharing. And this is why silence hurts us. We lose that ability to even hear what we are saying. Like you can start off thinking you're gonna say something. And as you start talking, it can change in the midst of what you're saying. You can be completely heated, thinking you're about to tell somebody off. And as you start talking, more gets revealed to you, more gets shared, and then you start calming down. Zhao says, perhaps the master intended to suggest that we never see the full glory of truth when we receive it. The full glory will break upon us only when we proclaim it. Never tell the truth and the truth will always remain dim. Proclaim it, and it will emerge from the mist in clear and most alluring outline. The price of retention is expression. We must lose if we would find. We must lose silence to gain knowledge. Are you willing to give up that barrier that we've created with ourselves? To give away what you have within you in order to find what God has placed in you. This is why we must give away our truth. You must tell your story to find yourself and God 
in your story. You must give away your gospel truth to find yourself in God. This is the power of being a witness. When you're able to share what you know about God, you get enlightened in the process. You are surprised at how much you really know. You think like, well, I know a little bit about Jesus, but let people start questioning you. You amaze yourself. You walk away like, wow, I have really retained a little something. When we give our Jesus knowledge away, we find more knowledge and truth. This is why we must stay open to hear others' truth. Because in listening, we also discover a beauty. And in listening, we then allow others to find. As they lose that silence, they get to find. That's something you give to somebody else. So the second policy is the policy of drifting. It also goes against the progress in God. The purposes of life are not served by the policy of drifting, but by the ministry of resistance. Life is energized by endurance. Matthew 10 and 22 says, that is he who endureth to the end shall be saved. Drifting may be the secret of easy living, but no one drifts into worth and permanent wealth. You will not drift into material wealth, emotional wealth, or spiritual wealth. You do not just happen upon these things. They are well-fought prizes. But it's easy just to drift. It's easy not to put a whole bunch of work and stuff, and we so happy when stuff come to us easy. <laughs> We'd be like, ooh, I didn't even have to work for that. There are three areas in which you can never drift into. Rest, joy, and strength. In Matthew 11 and 28 through 30, the question is asked, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. In this verse, we learn that we must put forth efforts to find rest. We often just want peace and rest to fall upon us because we chose God. We think that he should just do that. But that is contrary to the scripture and these are actual words spoken by Christ. If you want rest, you're going to have to fight for it. A little paradoxical, because you think rest should just come. Like, I didn't chose Jesus. I didn't said I gave my life to you. I didn't did the baptism. I didn't spoken in little tongues. I didn't done all that. And we say, well, this is the rest. That's it. I should have it. And we're sitting here angry and upset that we don't have it. Because you're supposed to fight for rest. So if you're tired and burned out on religion, find Christ. Learn of him and you are promised rest. Are you willing to lose your idleness to find rest? Remember, if you are willing to lose, you will find. We can never drift into joy. The only people who are strangers to joy are the people who dodge every difficulty and never compete with a troublesome task. Joy is the end result of strain and pressure. In John 16, 21 and 22, 
It says when a woman gives birth, she has a hard time. There's no getting around it. But when the baby is born, there is joy in the birth. This new life in the world wipes out the memory of the pain. Are you willing to go through labor to have joy as your baby? What price will you pay to find the joy of the Lord? Are you willing to labor to birth a new life? Are you willing to give up ease to find joy? Lastly, you can never drift into strength. Lying on the couch produces no muscles, just like easing through life produces no strength. It takes resistance and endurance to gain strength. The more you climb, the stronger you become. God wants us to give him and life all we have. He expects, excuse me, expects us to build our strengths, not just laze around and wait for a handout. So often it looks like those who are putting out the most effort gain the least. But Christ assured us that if you are willing to lose your life, you will find it. And if you read Psalm 73, the whole thing, that's where David is talking about his foot almost slipped when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's very easy for us to become jealous of people that seem to get the most amount of ease in life, and they just, just live in life. Seem like things just come to them. They don't struggle. They don't have no difficulties. It just stuff it just 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 lays out for them. And you know they living kind of dirty. And we become jealous that they are gaining so much. But we don't realize that they are not getting anything permanent. It's all just gonna be fleeting. But as we look at it with human eyes, we say it seems like they more on God's side than I am. Because I got nothing for my trouble. I didn't try to be a good person. I ain't scheming. I ain't lying. I ain't cheating on folks. And I've got nothing. And I'm looking at you just being just as raggedy. And you just have ease. Something's got to be wrong with that. But this is the method that God says if you want strength, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want right, the, what I'm offering, not the stuff that, that can go away, but what I'm going to give you is going to be permanent. Once you get to the end of this, you're going to have something that cannot be shaken. You want rest that can't be moved? Stay with me. It may be a little battle, but stay with me. It's coming. You want joy that you, you can never get rid of? Stick with me. Go through the strain. Go through the pressure. I promise you at the end, you're going to have the joy of the Lord. Now imagine what the joy of the Lord is. Not just a temporary worldly joy, but you will have the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine the extent of joy that God has? And he said, I'll give you that. Just going to take a little pressure and a little, a little movement. Are you willing to build up those kind of muscles? Because, I mean, heck, nobody really likes. Well, some people do like the whole workout thing. Me personally, I don't. 
but it's it's not you know it's not the easiest thing to do. It's 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 work. You have to get your mind together to say, okay, I'm about to do this for an hour or two. It's a mindset that you have to do. If you go into the gym like, dang, this ain't what I want to do. Not today. Who? Every time you get on the trip. Who? Every moment is just. Oh, you been? I've been on here and you look down. It been but five minutes. And you're like, good Lord, this seems like I've been walking a long time. You're struggling. You get nothing out of it. But when your mind is set that I'm willing to struggle, I'm willing to suffer, whatever God puts on my path in order to get me where he needs to get me, it looks a little different. When you say, okay, I know I'm going to do this for an hour. I'm going to push my body. I'm going to let myself, I may get a little tired, but I'm going to just do, 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 do. You get it done. And before you know it, that hour is up. It's the same thing with life. We got to be willing to be pushed. This is just a part of the struggle. Think about his struggle. Think about the suffering he went through. And I know we use that in the cliche. And I know we throw it around about the cross and, and, and the ridicule he went through. And oh, we throw it around, but I don't think we really take it into our being of how much he really did suffer, all for me. And I'm really not giving him nothing back. The last policy of self-aggrandizement or grandiosity. Selfishness has become the name of the game. And thinking more highly of ourselves than we should has become our claim to fame. We're the most arrogant group of folks. I mean, we really think we some hot stuff. According to Christ, life is not enriched by selfishness, but by sacrifice. Life becomes fruitful only when it becomes sacrificial. No matter what you put your hand to, it has no value unless you lose something in the production of it. For example, when I do my counseling, especially my one-on-one, in my, my teaching as well, in my classes. If I'm not willing to lose a part of myself and give a part of me away, what I'm doing loses value. I have to be willing to take something out of me and give to others in order for it to have some value for me. Because otherwise, I'm just up here just fooling around. But when I lose myself, I then find myself. And then I find God as well. Every Christian should sacrifice something for others unto the glory of God. If your life has no sacrifice in it, you are living a sorry little life for Christ. Then maybe you're not really living for Christ. We must drink that cup of suffering to be in communion with Christ. Think about how much he sacrificed. If your life has no sacrifice, then you risk never finding yourself. And that fact, never finding God. Put simply, the gates to a rich, roomy individual life is expression, not silence. Endurance, not drifting. Sacrifice, and not self-seeking. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I've heard that scripture quoted so many times. The losing of your life and you find yourself... And I never quite got 
what it actually meant. Cause you know, we just read stuff and nobody, I mean, not nobody, but sometimes it's not broken down into terms where you can actually understand what you're supposed to be doing. Cause it makes really no sense. And like I say, maybe I need a little extra ex- explanation and stuff. And I can understand that. And you know, I won't put it on nobody else. But if stuff's not like completely broken down, it loses me. But if you think about everything you do in life and what you're trying to get, you got to lose something to find it. And that really doesn't make good sense with our, our normal way of thinking. But what Christ does, he always flips the script just a little bit. To make sure it's just personally his. So as you go throughout your life, you look at what are you willing to lose to find? And just ask yourself that throughout the day. In your various tasks, what am I willing to lose to find? So let's move to 2 Corinthians 1 and 5. And that reads, for the more we suffer for Christ the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. The prescription of the Bible are often quite bizarre. Here he strangely puts suffering and comfort together. And it's even more strange when we have a relationship of cause and effect. Namely, suffering equals comfort. Our comfort emerges from suffering. Christ told us, that this is what he wants to accomplish in his ministry. The spirit of the Lind- excuse me, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. It says, The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and the afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce liberty to the captives, and to open the eyes of the blind. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor to them has come and the day of his wrath to his, to their enemies. We don't only have the spirit upon us, but we have it in us. This is the ministry that we should all be doing. This should be all of our mission. If you're not accomplishing something in those six tasks, something about your walk with Christ has failed. You've got to pick up what he wants us to do. Now, we may not be able to do all of them, but you certainly should have a couple in your pocket. This is the cup we must constantly drink from. Jow says in sharing his suffering, in sharing his suffering, the range of our possible suffering is determined by the largeness and nobility of our aims. It is possible to evade a multitude of sorrows by the cultivation of an insignificant life. Indeed, if it be a man's ambition to avoid the troubles of life, the recipe is perfectly simple. Let him shed his ambitions in every direction. Let him cut the wings of every soaring purpose and let him diligently cultivate a little life with the fewest correspondence and relations. By this means a whole continent of afflictions will be escaped and we will remain unknown. If we cultivate negations and large tracts of the universe will cease to exist. For example, if you cultivate deafness, 
you are saved from the horrors of discord. You don't have to hear anything. We all get to choose what we want to cut off. If you cultivate blindness, you are saved from the assault of the ugly. Stupefy a scent and you shut out a whole world. And if it is literally true that if you want to get through the world with the smallest trouble, you must reduce yourself to the smallest compass. Have a little life. You won't have many troubles. And a lot of times we see people that just going around having great times, they have a very little life. They're not giving anything to the world. It's all about them. They stay in their little circle. They close their eyes to a whole lot. They don't hear anybody else's troubles. All the life is is just about them. And they have skirted around with no troubles, no problems, just easing through this thing. And we look at them and we're jealous. But we don't realize they're deaf, they're blind, they can't see, taste, or touch. Is that the life you want to have? You can choose that. Keep life small, you won't have no troubles. But if you reduce your compass, don't think you're in step with Christ. Because remember, his compass was to save the entire world. So go on and have a little life, but don't say you with Jesus. Just have your little life all by yourself. Keep him out of it. Many professing Christians have deadened and arrested their own growth. They have cut the sensitive wires which bind us together, and they are disastrously self-contained. So that the sorrow of the world has never disturbed their seclusion. And that's why we like being in the building. We all stay in the building together. Secluded, alienated, and by ourselves. Tiny souls can dodge through life. Bigger souls are blocked on every side. But there's a warning. When you choose to enlarge your life, your resistance are multiplied. When you tear out your soul, out of your soul, the petty, selfish purposes, and install a world purpose, the Christ purpose, your sufferings will be increased on every side. Every addition to spiritual ambition widens the exposure of the soul, and it sharpens its perceptions of the world's sicknesses. So when you choose to have a God view, and you say, I want my life to look like God touched it, and I want to do what he wants me to do, know that you're going to get resistances. You're going to have some suffering. You're going to have a whole lot of pain. But it's supposed to be unto his glory. And sometimes it looks like, why the heck am I even doing this? Because I ain't getting nothing out of it. I am paying a heck of a price. But is it about you or is it about God? In regards to the mission of the ministry, which I mentioned before, Christ had three different definite, excuse me, sufferings. We often read of Christ needing to rest, for example, at the well. Another time him taking a sleep in the ship when everything was going on. This is the suffering of a worn out body. Can you imagine the energies that his body contained 
within his ambition to try to save every afflicted person. His aim was to go out and save the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the mourners. Can you imagine the toll it took on his body? That he was even able to rest. Could you imagine his mind racing? Of knowing everything he had to do and what everyone expected of him. And you'll read various times of, of him wanting to get away. And wanting to take a break. Yet the moment he wanted a break, something happened. And he had to release, the, release his rest to tend to somebody else. But remember, he was just a man. His body was just weak. He was tired at times. Could you imagine the energy it probably took to just heal somebody? I mean, he's God. Of course, he could just touch. But think about that. And then think about the fact that he's God. So he hears everybody. What's that going on in the Jesus mind? Of him knowing when he gets to a place and everybody wants to be touched. And he's got to figure out who's going to get to touch him. That's a whole lot in his little body. That's amazing that God chose that. To put himself in a body. Because, I mean, you know, that's, we're weak. We have so many uh, limitations. For him to house himself in our limitations is pretty amazing. As Christ, um, as Christians, excuse me, we should experience the suffering which are indicative to the limitations of the flesh. We should at times experience our body being too frail for the passionate spirit we have in us. At times we should be exhausted from doing God's will. Our lives are our ministries, which means we should be pursuing the same things that Christ pursued. Can you really say that you've been worn out physically from doing God's will? I mean, can we really say that we've been tired because I've just been working so hard for the Lord? Probably not. We're not pushing ourselves that far. We get a little tired. We're saying, I'm going to sleep. Or that's too much work for me. And we move on. But we don't think about this is part of going into God's suffering. Is letting, letting yourself be pushed to the moment of exhaustion for him. You know, are you willing to stay up all night with somebody to try to mend their heart? Are you willing to go out and, 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 and touch somebody's life even though you're tired after work? Because somebody called you and said they need somebody to talk to. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot sometimes. But that's entering to his suffering. And like I said last night, sometimes we put our sufferings on him. Oh, I'm suffering. Because you're suffering doesn't mean you're in God's suffering. You could just been making some bad decisions. Or life just happens, but that doesn't mean that you're with God. Make sure your suffering is Jesus' suffering, not your own creation of suffering. It's a little different. Secondly, Christ's suffering came from animosity of the indifferent. Here he is, the God-man, coming to save our sin-sick souls, and he is faced with hostility. Even the ones that professed that they knew God battled him at every turn. Like the book says, he came to his own, and his own received him not. It's a painful thing to try to help those who need help, and you are met with accusations and anger. 
but it is a suffering that our Jesus was intimately acquainted to. We must not shrink back because we get attacked or misunderstood or even we're downright lied on. It is for the sake of Christ and it is worth it. We can't put the cup down, we must drink deeply. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If you're in line with Christ, you should be acquainted with grief and sorrow, following from rejection and ridicule. So if you know that's what's, if you know you're in step with God, somebody should be ridiculing you and you should be getting rejected by somebody. If all you have is acceptance in your life, it's a good chance you're not walking with God. And oftentimes, we will be rejected and ridiculed by the very people we're out trying to help. Remember what Paul said, that I may know you in the fellowship of your suffering. Could you imagine the pain that Christ had when he came unto his own? And they were like, you're not even God. I know you better than this. And then think about the Pharisees, all the questions they threw at him. Well, if you know how to do this, then what about this? Well, if you're so great, what about this? And what about this and this and this? And, this? and that's why we have a whole line of stuff. Like, you think about the whole thing with forgiveness. When he says 70 times 7, he was trying to shut them up. Stop talking to me about this foolishness and get the point that I'm trying to do. And that's what we do in our walk with God. We have tried to bring him down to such little minuscule little points where we miss the whole picture of what it is to be saved. And that's why Paul said, I'm throwing all that stuff away. Forget all your rule keeping and you got to do this, this, and that. I'm tossing it. I'm just going to believe God's going to save me by, by his grace. Instead of you trying to tell me X, Y, and Z and I need to do the checkoff list. These two sufferings we can partially share with Christ. The suffering of a weak body, the suffering of ridicule and animosity of others. The last suffering is mysterious and dreadful, of which we know little about. We will never know just what it costs to see our sins upon the cross. We will never know how much he paid really for that. We cannot even enter into what that really meant. We will never know what it felt like and understand what that pain was. The, literary t the literal tearing of his flesh. Like we can't imagine what that really feels like. Thorns in his head, the stabbing in his side, the nails in his hands and his feet. What type of abandonment that felt like from his fellow man. You know, he walked with those disciples. Those were his boys. And to have to know you're gonna deny me. I'm walking with you and I know you're gonna leave me. Like we don't wanna be with people who we think are gonna stab us in the back. They're like, I, I know, I'm gonna dismiss you. But remember again, I have to reiterate, he was just a man. He was very man. So can you imagine walking with these people and thinking that they were with you and you performing all this stuff? They see who you are. They know you're not a phony. 
They know the power that you have in your hands. And they would deny you? Think about what that did to him. That had to hurt like crazy. Even though he knew it was coming. That still hurt. To really pretty much so just be left alone. And all he's done is bless people's lives. That's all he's done. He hasn't caused pain to one person. No, we can't say the same. But think about those relationships where you have, where you have really been a good person. Where you've been that friend. And you've stood by somebody. And you get stabbed in your back. It's dreadful. The suffering of Christ. Are you willing to enter into that kind of suffering? Are you willing to put yourself out there even though you may get stabbed in the back? Can you imagine looking out and seeing all those folks laughing and mocking you? You up there naked. And everybody is just sitting there like you a clown. And you got to take it. Because you told the Father your will be done. But he's still just a man. And everybody's saying, but you're nothing. Questioning his very being of who he is. Think about when people misrepresent you. And they accuse you of being something that you're not. When they say, oh, I know you did this to try to hurt me. And you know good and well that was not your intentions. That stuff be hurting. When your character comes into assassination. When somebody wants to tear you up and say you're something that you're not. Think about the night you've cried over somebody doing that to you. Now imagine everybody looking at you. And saying you're just a nothing. You ain't got no power. You're not a good person. You know you meant to try to hurt me. You know you a liar. You know you lied about that situation. That wasn't the truth. And he was there to save their souls. And still willing to save them. And say, I'll forgive them. They know not what they do. And then we can't even fathom the abandonment and rejection that he felt from the father. Did he know that he would be torn from himself at that moment he put, his sin, he put our sins on his shoulder? Did he know that when he said, your will be done? Did he know that it would come to the point where he had to tear himself from himself? To be left helpless with no one to turn to and completely deserted. What did that feel like? That pain had to be so intense because if we think about everything that happened to him, when he was beat, when he was dragged, when he was ridiculed, the nails in his hands and his feet, the thorns in his head, them giving him vinegar to drink, he said nothing until the moment he was forsaken. And that's when he cried out, cried out with a loud cry. Why? Why? 
did you forsake me? He, I mean, we would have been yelling a long time ago. He didn't say one word. So the pain and intensity of him being forsaken by the father had to be the most intense to the point where he couldn't even shut his own mouth. He had to then let all the ridicule and all the mockers know, you finally hurt me. Is this what you wanted to see? Now I'm broken. And I'm broken only because I have now been abandoned from my father. What did that feel like to be in that despair? What was that like? What kind of mental suffering did he take on to save our souls? And I, I don't know the answer to this, but was he forsaken for all three nights? When he was down there getting the keys from Satan, was he still forsaken? Did he not feel connected again until the resurrection? And if he was forsaken for the three nights, think about how amazing he is. Because he was still willing to do the will of the Father and do the battle with Satan and snatch his keys. Because he said, this is what I'll have to do for my father. And did he know that he was, I mean, you know, just what was going on? I can't, I can't step into it. I really want to step into it. I want to know what that had to feel like. Because if I feel that, I know that I won't mess up again. I need to take that into my being. And this is why I think it's sad that we talk about the cross, but we talk about it too lightly. It's become the end, we know. He died on our sins. Thank you, Jesus. So every time we want to see that cup of suffering and turn our head, think about what he did. And then, which I, when I was reading, he cried that twice. Why have you forsaken me? The first one goes into the Eli, Eli, da-da-da-da-da. And then it goes on in the verse, and it talks about them wanting to offer him the vinegar and everything, and then the other people said, no, don't give him nothing. If he's the God, then let him bring himself down off the cross. And then it says again, and he cried out again aloud, and then he gave up the ghost. So, the time period in between the two cries, I don't know. How long did they let him just sit up there? Let's see what he going to do. Still in his anguish of being forsaken. The whole physical pain was gone. It was all now just an emotional phys uh, and mental pain of being forsaken. Why? Why did you do that to me? Why would you leave me? He asked the question, why? I'm sitting here, I have taken a beating for you. Why would you then leave me? We couldn't go into this together? And why? Because he loves me more 
then I love my sin. That's deep. We loving sin more than we love God. That's some crazy mess we doing. And then we sitting there singing, we with Jesus. And we just, just we say, I know I'm going to go to heaven. And you love sin more than God. Boy, he's patient. Gee whiz. We should be humbled and honored to bear the sufferings, to prove to our Savior that we appreciate him for paying our death tax. We should be humbled and honored. We should not be complaining. We should not be saying, oh, this is hard. Well, God, the Lord sure wants a lot out of me. And as Christ always does, he doesn't just say suffer and shut up. But he gives us comfort for our suffering. What comfort did he get? He endured the cross, despised the shame. And what's the joy? Us. We the joy. Now, you know we wouldn't be too happy if we got us at the end of the prize. <laughs> Is this all I get? I get you? <laughs> he did the cross for us, and we the prize at the end. We the present he's unwrapping. Have you ever gotten a gift and was disappointed? <laughs> You be trying to smile. Oh, thank you. I, I know I can use this somehow. And this is what he gets. He gets us. We need to step it up. Come on. We could give him a little better pride than what we've been giving him. And the crazy mess is he did that knowing we would be as messed up as we are. Half-hearted, not willing to give nothing. That's a little, that's ridiculous. Shame on us. Shame on us. Really, we should feel like dirt. We really should. And we got the nerve to walk in the place with hands raised, screaming we got the victory and just as happy. And Oh, I didn't make it to church. I didn't press my way. I didn't press my way to come sit in the air-conditioned building and lift my hands and make myself feel good. And I'm the prize he gets at the end. If we dare have fellowship in the suffering, we will have also fellowship in the comfort. I already said if we lessened our lives, we should lessen our sorrows. But if we lessen our lives... We also lessen our joys. Deaden the sense of hearing and you escape the discords, but you also lose the harmonies. Drug your artistic sense and you lose the pain of the ugly, but you also lose the inspiration of the lovely. If by enlargement of life we let in human sorrow, we also let in divine consolation. A big holy purpose makes us more sensitive toward the sin and hostilities of man, but it also makes us more sensitive towards God. If the suffering abound, 
so our comfort abounds also. If we suffer with Christ, Christ himself becomes a great reality. When life is a picnic, we play theology. When life becomes a campaign, we grope for religion. And that's what we do. We're just playing around. That's why our religion has become just campaign slogans. Because really our life is a picnic. We're not suffering for Christ. And God has not become a reality for us. He's just a gimmick. And salvation has become a gimmick we all play. It's been packaged. It's been marketed. And we can put it in a little box and we can sell it to a whole lot of people. And that's what it's just become. The Jesus thing. Across Christianity. It's not about God, the reality. It's about how can we make it fit into this box and everybody got a different box. We must all decide, do we want religion, theology, or do we want Christ? Can you say like Paul, I'm pushing all this stuff aside. It's for naught. So that I can know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Can we say that's what we want now? Christ. You must choose to lose your life. Are you willing to lose that fabricated person? The person who has been created from false knowledge and constructed from pains and disappointments instead of love. Are you willing to lose that person? The person that you're so comfortable with? The person who you say, no, this is who I am. Are you willing to lose that person to find God? And trust him to give you who you were supposed to be. It's hard to break that shell. It's hard to say, no, this is not maybe me. And let him create and transform you into a new being. That's faith. That's trust that he knows better than you know what your life should look like. Will you lose to find? Are you holding on so tightly to what you can see? Can you suffer for him? Will you suffer so you can be comforted by Christ? Do you want God's comfort? Are you satisfied with the comfort you've been getting? In a Gucci bag and a nice pair of tennis shoes and a house. Maybe a few sorry friends. Maybe just a rub on your back from somebody else's is what is going to sustain you. Or do you want the comfort from Christ? Will you lose to find? That journey is going to be priceless. But count up the cost. Don't just say yes. Count up the cost. Because when you take on the Jesus view and you say, I'm going to do his mission. No, you're going to have ridicule. You're going to have rejection. You're going to have suffering. You're going to be worn out. You're going to be misunderstood. But is it, is it worth what Christ has given to you? 
Will you be the one when he looks at you and say, this was my joy. You were why I did the cross. Are you just happy to skirt by and hope with fingers crossed and legs too that I'm going to make it to heaven somehow? Little life, little sorrows. Big life, big sorrows. You get to choose.